Welcome back to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. This is Jessica. I am Mikey. How are you, Michael? I'm fine. It's been a long time since we spoke. It's not. It's not. That was a fun bit I did. Um, so we just watched episode six. Seven. Episode seven. Oh, yeah. Episode six, known as Realization Time, also known as episode seven. It's fine. We're almost on to season two, and we never had to think about that again. Um, mm. Right? I and guess we'll do we season do one episode yeah, or season two fair. episode, whatever. Okay, cool. Uh, let's jump in with the lost. I'll say in reference lady. to last week because we watched the previously ons for this, mm-hmm. and there was the scene between um, Josie and Ben Horn from last week that mm-hmm. I was like, I don't even remember seeing that scene. Like, saw it on the previously on, and I was like, oh yeah, I guess we saw that. I got that information. <laughs> I don't know why, but so many of Josie's scenes to me are just utterly unmemorable. Well, I just it ties in. You talk a lot about how you don't really have a hard time actually following the sawmill uh-huh. thing, and so I think you just associate because that's really all. She oh does. yeah, she's that's her. You like, know, she's, she's the linchpin of that. But yeah. linchpin, uh, the David linchpin. Uh, ah. Nailed it. Okay. Um, Lo- yeah. Okay. But anyway, that did it did happen because I was like, maybe we saw some weird version that didn't happen. No, no. But I just want to correct that for the record. Mikey just hates this show, doesn't pay attention to it, so yeah, he doesn't know it very well. So bad, I can't believe anyone watches this. All right, the <laughs> log lady intro quote: "Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Yet there are those who open many eyes." Eyes are the mirror of the soul, someone has said. So we look closely at the eyes to see the nature of the soul. Sometimes when we see the the eyes, those horrible times when we see the eyes, eyes that have no soul, then we know a darkness. Then we wonder, where is the beauty? There is none if the eyes are soulless. What? <laughs> what did I just read, Michael? The log lady intro, duh. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean it's 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 start it's forcing it's a statement on looking inward and you know who are we and what are we capable of mm-hmm. and all of that kind of th- like good everyone's personal battles with good and evil and stuff like that. I, right. Okay. Um. So we kick off the episode uh the end of the last episode uh audrey had snuck into um cooper's room mm-hmm. got naked got in bed mm-hmm. and immediately started crying because she knows how to win dudes <laughs> i i think it was she knows she overstepped yeah i mean she knows immediately i took a fucking big swing and yeah. I should not have. <laughs> like, as soon as she saw his face, she's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. I really misread well, and this. Like, and, like, the fact that, like, she thinks it's cute because the lights are out and mm-hmm. she's just waiting. And he and comes, he comes in gun. fucking, like, gun drawn. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, maybe maybe He's, his priorities are different than mine. Maybe sneaking up on a yeah. fucking FBI agent. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh- <laughs> I, I just swatted the mic and it spun all the way around. That was pretty cool. <laughs> okay, so Cooper gently rejects Audrey's advances, uh, saying that while she's very desirable, she needs a friend more than anything. Audrey, you're a high school girl. I'm an agent of the FBI. So do you want me to leave or what? 
what I want and, and what I need are two different things, Audrey. When a man joins the Bureau, he takes an oath to uphold certain values. Values that he's sworn to live by. This is wrong, Audrey. We both know it. But don't you like me? I like you very much. You're beautiful, intelligent, desirable. You're everything that a man wants in his life. But what you need right now, more than anything else, is a friend. Someone who'll listen. Credit to Harley Payton, who wrote this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a, he's one of the best writers of this show. Um, I think his the the way he writes that like rejection by Cooper I think is really really it's nice it's nice in in a way that like this is how somebody of this stature would let somebody down like I don't want to say no but also I I still want I I don't want to be mean right. I'm trying I'm to, not the bad guy the FBI is the bad yeah, guy yeah but but at the same time like I but I I believe in what the FBI is like mm-hmm. it it isn't like well I would have done it if it wasn't for me you right. know but like it's it's he just, does say what I want and what I need are two different things yeah which is a very vague yeah. thing that doesn't really mean anything Nothing. which is why it kind of works yeah um but it's I don't know I think it's I think it's a really good letdown and mm-hmm. you know uh, he says he'll get food she'll put on her clothes and then she will tell him all of her troubles. She says that Laura has a lot of secrets. Uh, cut to the station house. Andy. <laughs> oh, the Andy and Lucy saga continues. Mm-hmm. So Andy is the deputy who's a big goober. Lucy is his on-again, off-again girlfriend, um, who's truly the greatest character of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, Andy en- enters the station house. He tries to talk to Lucy, but she brushes him off to talk privately on the phone with her doctor. Good morning, Officer Brennan. I sure wish you would stop calling me Officer Brennan. Officer Andy, this is peak activity time at the station switchboard. So it's really not convenient for me to talk right now. The delivery of this is the busiest time at the station line, so I'm going to have to stay focused. Yeah. Like, and one phone rings. One phone like, call Hello? comes in, and it's for her. Like, right. <laughs> Yeah, um, and she says, and just the way she refers to him is is Officer Brennan. Uh I really wish you'd stop calling me that. Well, I like the way she picks up the phone and is like, "Sure, just one second. And then she doesn't like gesture or say anything. She just puts her hand over the receiver and looks at Andy like, "Yeah, I told you to go." And he's like, "Oh, yeah." That's the noise he makes in my head. But then you find out it's her doctor. Mm-hmm. And he's calling with results to whatever yeah. she was in there for yesterday. And I, I you mean, find out specifically what that is soon. But if a woman's talking to a doctor in a show. And ew. she's mad at her on an on again, yeah. off again boyfriend. I think you can make pretty easy yeah. assumptions, but it's not explained quite yet. Right. Uh, Cooper enters, blowing the whistle that he whittled, uh, speaks to Lucy, who was out sick the previous day. Uh, Dr. Hayward. Who was at the doctor. She wasn't out sick necessarily or whatever, but. Dr. Hayward and Harry study Walter the bird and says that, and Hayward says it will start talking once it's healthy. 
um, Hawk hands a file to Cooper. The forensic. So the idea well, there's, with there's Waldo. A, there's a great exchange too, where he's like, "Do you have apples? Because these grapes are starting to turn. Like they're right on the edge. They're right on the edge. <laughs> like it's like just a great like." They're like pampering this bird because it's a potential witness. Yeah, so like it's interesting. I guess minor birds are no well within the show. I don't know anything about minor birds, but are mimics. Yeah, and so theoretically, if this bird witnessed something that happened, it could repeat it. It could repeat what it was hearing. Um, so uh, and because it's in distress and unhealthy, mm-hmm. so they're like, that's why he's not talking. So we have to fatten him up with. Off grapes yeah, just and make apples. Him comfortable, yeah. Um, Hawk ha- uh, hands a file to Cooper. The forensic report states that Laura Palmer, Ronette Pulaski, and Leo Johnson all visited Jacques' cabin, and there's a picture of Waldo on Laura's shoulder. <laughs> great, such great, a good exchange. Great exchange, yeah. Gives this picture. It's a close it's up. It's a of pretty. This bird. Yeah, it's the bird is full frame. You see that it's vaguely, on and it's a, like an eight on, by ten. Yeah, it's a big. It's a, and like Cooper hands it to Truman, Truman and says, "Get a load of this." Truman picks it up and goes, ha, "That's our Waldo." <laughs> like so, like, "Yep." <laughs> I'm in. I on got this it. Joke. And then he's like, "No, that's Laura." It's the only exposed negative on the whole film, Harry. Look familiar? That's our Waldo. No, Harry the girl. That's Laura. Oh. And then he turns, <laughs> he keeps rotating the yeah. picture, so it's like, like upside down, which to be fair, it's just a blonde person's shoulder. Yeah, it's a, but it's also at the same spot where she had marks, the, the bird marks. Oh! Yeah. yeah, real smart. Yeah. I also pay three quarters attention most of the time. Um, so Cooper leaves his voice recorder near the bird and wants to visit One-Eyed Jacks, but it's over the border, so he suggests sending... Uh, the Bookhouse Boys. Boom, ba-da, boom. Yep, that's the Bookhouse Boys. Book Could you hear that? Yeah. That was it makes pretty good radio. Yeah, I thought Do you so. Do I do some close-up magic, too? Ta-da. Wow. Didn't even pretend to do was magic. Was that your card? <laughs> Jazz hands. <laughs> um, so the Bookhouse Boys, uh, we haven't heard from from a couple episodes, but it is an unofficial sort of watch group of Twin Peaks mm-hmm. that there's some, like, they know some shit's whack in Twin Peaks and the Bookhouse Boys are, like, usually self-appointed. It's, usually it's been drug-related. Yeah. It's it's in reference to the drugs coming across the border. Or right. Um, and so the Bookhouse Boys is, I mean, I guess Cooper's kind of an honorary member, but it's Truman. It's yeah, they, Big Ed. Does he make him a Hawk. Yeah, it's Truman, Hawk, Big Ed, James... James. Um, Joey Paulson. Yeah. Um, and that's all we know of, at least. I mean, there could be others potentially. I could be a bookhouse boy. <laughs> Who knows? Who does now? Uh, Bobby walks towards the Johnson's house. Um, okay. So uh, Bobby is Jadian Shelley, who's Leo Johnson's wife. Uh, Leo Johnson is a scumbag who recently got shot by his wife because he's a scumbag mm-hmm. for scumbagging. Um, so they're constantly on the sly. So Bobby walks towards the house. Um, in his truck, Leo watches him through binoculars and sees him embracing Shelly. He takes out his rifle, but not... You also you also see in this shot that, like, Leo's arm is all bandaged up yeah. because... He got shot. He got shot, but you see that, like, oh, he was shot in the it arm, which yeah. is why he's still around. 
Um, he takes out his rifle, but not in time to get a shot. Shelly cries to Bobby about shooting Leo, says that he knows he's out there watching her. Um, I really enjoyed this scene because I think... She's she's very good in this scene. And I think also, just from a writing standpoint, too often in shows like this, a lot of people will shoot random people and just sort of bounce back from it. Mm-hmm. Whereas in reality, shooting somebody, I presume, is a really traumatic thing to happen, especially if it's your husband. And, and presumably... There was no exchange after that. I get the impression that she shot him and he, and he turned around and just left. Yeah. So who knows what he's going so to do? Is he getting a weapon? Is he getting friends? Yeah, Is she's he in getting... fear for his le- for she her life. She has no idea. And I, because I assume he didn't say anything. Yeah. Um, Bobby pledges to take care of Leo and James. Leo and James. Who's James? James Hurley. Oh. Why yeah, is he he's pretty forgettable. James? Wait, why did Bobby... I'm gonna, I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna take care of him. Like, not, like... He's gonna kill James? No, like, get him out of the picture. Oh. Not, he's, he's not a... I don't think James needed to be brought up in this. (laughs) Where the fuck did James do? He made a dumb confession to Gazebo. He doesn't need to be shot for that. There's the beef between James and Bobby that James... It's really manufactured. Um... Like the whole like early on that some some biker's gonna get his head kicked in. Like it's that whole like they think they're like ratting each other out for shit. I don't do those even the do those two ever like share screen time? I Not feel really. like they Not really. Just operate in different it's, orbits. Yeah, it's it's very but it's like it's petty high school beefs that they think sure. are a big deal. Sure. Um Yeah. Um, so Bobby pledges to take care of Leo and James and to protect her from now on. Because you know what I, you know who I need to protect me is an eighteen-year-old college senior. Mm-hmm. Nothing spells safety like boy college seniors. They all make good decisions, but he's also like and non-reckless. Thing. Very clearly, just like saying what I'm supposed to say. Uh, he is he is aping what a strong male yes. protector would do even though he has no idea what the fuck he's doing exactly he's a kid yeah mm-hmm. um and that that plays out well in yes. future episodes like him getting in over his head and all this uh, it's great uh leo gets back in his car to listen to a police broadcast of lucy talking to waldo talking about waldo and drives away can you explain that to me why does he overhear lucy why is she he's just got a scanner he's who's she talking to on the scanner She's probably in the station talking to uh, Sherman or are those Hawk things just somebody. running all the time? Man, I like, mean, presumably those are just like when you it's potentially a little bit forced, um, but it's it's a, like I mean if if they're on a radio, they're in a different part of the building even, and they're just on radio. Oh, sure, um, that could be like it's the way anybody has a police can. He's just tapped into the same frequency. Uh, no, I understand how scanners work. I'm just surprised that like Lucy is talking into a microphone about this weird bird situation. Is, I mean, she was all. talking into a microphone to like tell him which phone to answer three feet away. Like, you know what? That's a fair <laughs> point, Michael. And I retract my grievances. James, Donna, and Maddie listen to Laura's tape recorded for Jacoby, which is very flirtatious and yucko. Yeah, it's, it is creepy. I don't know. Flirtatious is the word. It's lecherous. Yeah, it's. It's yeah. Um, there's an empty case labeled with the da- uh, an empty like cassette tape uh, labeled with the date of Laura's death, and James says the which f- uh, I was looking pretty closely at. 
it's I'm pretty sure it's a clear case. I don't think there's anything written on it. I didn't see tape or anything. <laughs> it's a weird choice, but that's stupid and pointless, but yeah. Um the date of Lori's death, James says they'll find the tape that night in Jacoby's office. Mm-hmm. So we cut to Horn's department store where Audrey is tanking hard as a perfume sales. But girl. like because she doesn't give a shit. Oh, not because not she's f- bad at yes, it. Yes, you're right. right. She does not give a fuck. Um, I also love, this is the first time, at, you know, obviously seen this show a hundred times, that I noticed there's a bunch of displays set up for some invitation to love branded yeah. perfume or something. <laughs> there's a big cutout. And there's like of, a come out, come, uh, cutout cut of emerald or jade or one of, one of them. And I, I've never been able to keep track of who is actually who on that show? I would kind of make fun of you if you knew who is who on that uh, show. A lot, a lot of people do. A lot of people. Well, I will yeah. make fun of them. Um, you guys can call me. I'll make fun. But of it's you. it's it's funny, and like all the the packages are in that same blue. That's the where the invitation to love mm. title screen is and stuff. But I just can't, I had never even looked at that stuff, and it was yeah. But Did you know it. that the customer she's trying to sell perfume to is a named character, Theodora Ridgely? Does that sound familiar? Uh, I know Andrew Ridgely was the other half of Wham. Uh, I know Theodora, our friend's daughter. Nailed it. Got it. All right. (laughs) Obvi. Um, The boss, uh, Amory Battis, tells her colleague Jenny to meet him in his office. So if you remember uh, from last episode, we've established that this perfume counter is sort of a way to funnel girls into Mm -hmm. One-Eyed Jacks, which is... And this is, and maybe, a brothel. maybe, and I know last time I spoke about how Emery is handling this. Yeah. This could be why I thought that is because I know about yeah. this subsequent scene. Um, but this is where you get clear indication right. that like, oh, he's involved with making mm-hmm. that happen. Um, uh, because, and in this scene is when uh, Audrey is putzing around the office and then hides in the closet in... In a sequence that's very, like, paying homage to Blue Velvet. Oh, I've never seen Blue um, Velvet. Oh, it's great. But, like, that, there's the pretty iconic sequence of, of, of Jeffrey Beaumont, which is McLaughlin's character, mm. hiding in a closet and looking at everything through those slatted, oh. that door. And this it's I... it's clearly Caleb Deschanel, who directed this episode, taking a... And Caleb Deschanel is usually a cinematographer mm-hmm. um, making a cinematic reference to not only Kyle McLaughlin, but David Lynch's sure. older works. Uh, my favorite part about this. So Audrey sneaks in, steals a cigarette off his desk, and then sneaks into a closet to eavesdrop. And she's in his closet, yeah. not three feet away from where the man is himself when he sits down and just fucking smoking. <laughs> what? And it's not like the two characters at the desk are smoking, so nobody would notice. Like, there yeah. is smoke billowing out I, of that closet. I almost just believe, though, that, like, In that the was 90s, a time there was so just, at, you couldn't smell it because every, like. I'm just talking, you could Like, see do you it. remember when smoking was banned several years ago? Yeah. And you finally realized that, like, you came home and you're like, all my shit reeks and I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Just because I went out to a bar or mm-hmm. whatever. Like, it's. I think it's 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 believable. Like nowadays, yeah. yes, that would be insane. But I think back then it was believable enough that like everything just smelled all the time, and so you didn't notice. Yeah, in college we used to hang our clothes up, like our 
nicer, quote unquote, nicer clothes. It was 2007 or whatever. Everything was trash. But we'd hang it out our windows because it just mm-hmm. reeked of smoke. Yeah. Also, the bar we went to was in a basement, so that yeah. couldn't have been great ventilation. Um, so uh, he tells uh, Jenny, who's another counter girl, to meet him in his office. Um, Battis tells Jenny, well, first he gives her a crystal unicorn. Yeah, crystal, which was very big in the early 90s of like... Crystal figurines. Figurines of unicorns or dolphins mm-hmm. or what, oh God, whatever. Oh, God, dolphins like, in the 90s. Jesus. Just all sorts of just like sweet-seeming animals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, Battis tells Jenny that the people at one Jacks wanted her there uh, perhaps to be a hospitality coordinator uh, which is code for sex worker mm-hmm. um, after they leave Audrey, Audrey looks through the boss's little black book like it's a literal little black book I mean that's one of those cliches that right. came from something that's people had that Finds she finds the name of many women uh, they're all rated with hearts which is adorable uh, Ronette's name is among them. Uh, Audrey takes the silver unicorn. Silver, I thought it was crystal. Who knows? Uh, it's crystal. Audrey takes the uniform that Badass gave to unicorn. Jenny. What did I say? Uniform. Mm, I've heard it both ways. <laughs> okay, back to the double, double art diner. Hank, who is... Um, fuck, I forgot her. Norma. So Norma's the owner of the double art diner. She's married to Hank, who just got out of jail for manslaughter. He's a scumbag. Yes. But, and now he's working for her to try to get back in her good graces. Yeah. He's like a busser. But also being whatever. a jag. But also, like, he's a really good actor in this scene. Right? Like, like not not Chris Mulkey, but Hank. Yeah. You With s- the way he's playing, like, oh, I just, like, I want to thank you, Shelly. Like, Norma told me in her letters mm-hmm. how much you've helped out. And, like, you would come help out with things. And so would would Pete. Pete would... Pete. Oh, oh, not Pete. What was? Oh, was Ed. 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 Big Ed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm better with names and fa- better faces. faces than names. And like, it's just, it's so believable and mm-hmm. casual. And like, you, unlike Leo, who's just a monstrous person, uh-huh. you can see why Norma fell for. Yeah. Like. He's playing people, but he can play charming. Yes. And I, it's totally believable in that scene. And it's funny because the first time you see him in the show, he's in, he's on the phone from calling from prison mm-hmm. and he's like sucking on that domino <laughs> in a way that's so horrible. Mm-hmm. And then you see him in this and he's just like, well, but very the, wholesome the same thing in the way he's on in front of the, the, the parole board and he's just like, oh, you know, and sometimes fate just deals this hand, and yeah. they're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, buddy! It's not like we're not buying your shit because yeah. we know." But like, Shelley's maybe a little more naive, mm-hmm. or is not going to speak up against it, and yeah, she's and, a and kid. so he's just steamrolling her with this like fake charisma. Yeah. Um, Hank tells Shelley about his time in the joint. Cool writing, Twin Peaks wiki, uh, and gets information about who has been around. Harry and Cooper warn Hank that he's on parole and he must be careful. Uh, Shelly offers the officers coffee uh, and Harry tries to pass and Cooper stops him. One of the the greatest like lines in the entire series. Do you know it off the top of your 
I mean, just the begin. I probably lose it a little bit, but the the whole Harry, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. Every day, once a day, give yourself a present, and then goes on to continue that ending like, with. Don't plan it. Don't wait for yeah, it. It can be a, a new shirt, a nap at your desk. Yeah, cat nap in your office chair, a new shirt from the men's store. Would you like some coffee? Afternoon, Shelly, yes. Well, we should be on our way. Harry, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Every day, once a day, give yourself a present. Don't plan it. Don't wait for it. Just let it happen. Could be a new shirt at the men's store, a cat nap in your office chair, or two cups of good, hot, black coffee. It's a great line. Mm-hmm. Um, another one of those very poetic Harley Payton lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, yeah, and it ends with with you know, give the uh, drink a nice cup of hot black coffee. Mm-hmm. Sits down. Cooper takes a sip and then like slides it over to to Harry, uh-huh. and it's just like elegant. Like trust me, yeah, you want this. This is a good. One. Everyone wants this. You want this. It's it's a really sweet moment. Uh, so Audrey, uh, back at Horn's department store, Audrey um, goes back over to the perfume desk where Jenny is standing and sort of gives the sort of like... Another know, great acting, uh-huh. act, like character acting, acting And kind of gives her like a verbal wink of like, oh, did you, you get a uniform, unicorn too? Because she had stolen that yeah. unicorn. So she shows Jenny like, oh, did you get one uh, of these? Yeah, I'm working as a hostess tomorrow. Yeah. Like, because that was one of the options, mm-hmm. you know. And then she says, ugh, you know what I, I did? I did a dumb thing. I lost Blackie's number. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Um, okay. So now we go to Ed and Nadine's house, who Ed, uh, Big Ed, who we mentioned before, is mm-hmm. in love with Norma, but they've since ended their relationship. Eye patch. Yes. Wait, what? Just, I said Nadine has Nadine's, the eye patch. Yeah, I said we Norma. Oh, I thought we were going. I thought we were. At the, no, I'm just explaining. Team. I'm giving context of who oh, Ed is. Yeah. Um, and Nadine and his wife, who has an eye patch, who is unwell in some generic way. And this is a great scene too, because if you've watched previous episodes, you know why she's upset. Mm-hmm. But they don't come right out and say it the way a lot of TV would. Like, mm-hmm. hey, just a reminder. Right. I'm sorry you got rejected by the patent clerk for that thing you were working mm-hmm. on. Then go on to the story. You just see that she's upset. And you know why? Because in the previous episode, she's out trying to get a patent. Mm-hmm. And so you know why she's upset. And then he says, like, there's other patent clerks as reaffirmation of what she's right. upset about. But I think it was just a really well-written scene. Mm-hmm. So that there's honesty to it and believability in the way the conversation like unfolds. Right. Uh, so Nadine is watching Imitation to Love. Uh, Chet shoots Montana and Nadine cheers him on. Um, Which is another, like, Montana is the one with the leather jacket. Mm-hmm. Um, who is kind of supposed to represent Leo, mm-hmm. who just got shot. Right. And then, yeah, so it's just... It's funny how everything coincides. Yeah. Um, she starts crying. She lists all the things she was going to get for them, and te- and Ed tells her not to give up. Can we just do a quick shout out to the giant TV on the floor? 
because <laughs> nothing is more 80s and 90s than a but big... But she was going to get a new TV. A she taller TV, yeah, so you don't have to look down at it. But that was TVs, Oh, man. no, for sure. Yeah. Like, that's what we had, too. But it's just one of those... It, it's a thing you yeah. forgot was in every home. It's just a big fucking TV in the middle of the ground. Um, Pete tells Harry about... Okay, so we're in... Harry is meeting with Pete. He sees Josie, who he's dating, smooches her. Or does he see the fish first? Uh, I think I think he's talking with Pete first. Okay, so Pete tells Harry about his fish from Which, Tim and Tom's when it, taxidermy. When he got it back from the taxidermist, it's a little bit smaller because it was bigger when I caught it, but which this, is just such a like... But also the thing is he... He indicated that it was, like, fatter. Not that it was generally, like, the thing with fish is you want them to be longer. But he indicates, like, yeah. it was I more I mean, I think blo- all of it, but... He was more bloated or something. Yeah, it was it's... a really strange moment. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and Josie gives him a kiss. Harry asks what she was doing at the Timber Falls Motel. Um, and she Which was... he asked her once before in a previous episode. And she was like, oh, I have to go now. <laughs> <laughs> so slick. Yeah. Um, she confesses she is fine and Catherine. I, that's part of why I lose the mill storyline and stuff is because, like, I feel like all of Josie's deliveries are just, oh, I just am going to talk and I. She's a little one just, uh, And I just get so bored mm-hmm. with her. Yeah. And I, it's, it's a shame. Like, uh, Supposedly, when it was written, it was written with Isabella Rossellini in mind. Mm-hmm. And I'm really curious because I think Isabella Rossellini is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I'm really curious to see how that would have played out and how mm-hmm. that would have changed things. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's really just... I don't want to... I don't like calling out like Joan Chen's performance mm-hmm. because I feel like she was directed that way because it's consistent. Mm-hmm. But it's just so flat. I think she's supposed to be very meek. And that's why it's interesting that she's fighting for her mill. But yeah. the meekness becomes really one-noted. Yeah. One-note, and just sort of becomes a really passive character, even though her actions aren't passive. Yeah. But then every time you see her, she does the same thing. Like, like yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's almost like they were building up to, like, all of a sudden at, at a season finale all of a sudden she has like this big change of personality and she was just playing everyone the whole time does that happen I don't know I don't remember why are you looking at me like that I might have spoiled something but I couldn't spoil it because I don't fucking know what happens in this show um, I remained silent <laughs> yeah you did but you gave me a lot of rude looks um, she says you heard Catherine talking about an accidental fire at the mill and that she will not let it happen all he right. says he won't and that she, Harry says, she says she heard Catherine talking about an accident on fire, and that she will not let it happen. Are you calling to question the wisdom of Twin Peaks Wiki dot fandom dot com? <laughs> I don't know. I yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Okay, so we cut back to the Bookhouse Boys. Cooper walks in in a tuxedo, and boy, oh boy, is this a tuxedo? <laughs> it is the late 80s early 90s tuxedo ever and later he takes his jacket off and the pants and shirt are very slim yeah but it's, that jacket is it's well, a little david byrne-esque yeah i mean just like his trench coats but yeah but trench coats are supposed to be a little flowy it's 
but it's the shoulders on yeah, those yeah. things that are giant and the fat lapels. Oof. The problem with this one is that it's one of those, it's like double breasted. So uh-huh. the one pant flap or one flap of the jacket crosses over the other one, mm-hmm. but it doesn't cross over like a typical double breasted suit where it, it meets at the sternum. Uh huh. The, the one button is like down at the waist. Yeah, so it is. So it's designed to just fall open in like the most unflattering way. It's and like, Kyle McLaughlin is a trim guy. Yeah, and so yeah. this like deeply unflattering jacket is yeah. such an odd choice. It's so large. Um, okay, so Cooper walks down the hall in uh, a tuxedo. He meets Harry and Ed and shows them $10,000 of the Bureau's money for gambling. Uh, and then gives Ed $300. I mean, yeah. I feel like give him a thousand bucks. Uh, Ed leaves and Harry tells Cooper about what Josie told him. Cooper agrees to look into it and Audrey enters just after Cooper That's a great leaves. moment though too. There's, Harry says like, hey, Truman, or, or Truman says, you know, Josie's in trouble. I think this is happening. And Cooper's first instinct is, how well do you know her? Where does she come from? What's her backstory? Mm-hmm. What's what's her angle? What's her play on this? And he says, all I know is I love her. This is, I believe her. This is something that's good enough for me. Like, mm-hmm. But his first instinct is like... Is she playing you? Yeah, or you could be getting played. And I like that. And- I, but I like that exchange because it's not like, well, I'm going to, behind your back, I'm going to look into this. It's It's... Are you sure? Yeah. Are you thinking critically right now? Mm-hmm. And Harry says yes, and then he says that's all I need. Yeah, and that and I, speaks that, a lot to the trust, trust between exactly, those two men. Exactly. I love that exchange. Um, Audrey enters just after Cooper leaves, leaving him a message at the station house. Um, okay, so now we go to insurance agent Neff with his red tie. Yes, his name it's Neff, I just said. Does it, it? I don't remember his first name, but his, that's another one that is from something else. It's from Double Indemnity, but the Billy Wilder movie with Barbara Stanwyck from like the 40s. Um, mm-hmm. Walter Neff, I think. Walter Neff, nice work. Um, but it's, it's just another example of name-checking movies that David Lynch likes. Yeah. That works. <laughs> like it's it's fun that he just like takes their names. Mm-hmm. I like that name. I like Sunset Boulevard. I like that movie. How about Gordon Cole? That was a good name. Walter uh, Neff from Double Nemo. I like that name. Let's use it. Uh, sure, especially when it's like for this like throwaway one off, character. Yeah. yeah. Um so the insurance agent talks to Catherine about signing an updated policy warning her about the changes that would affect take effect tonight. He says that he was approached by Ben and Josie. Catherine yes. About what? Changing the life. So the life insurance policy got... Oh, it's life insurance. Yes. Oh, I thought it was insurance on the mill. Oh, maybe. Either way, it might... Yeah, it might be. It's probably that. But either way, the beneficiary is Josie. Gotcha. And that's what was being changed. And so he came in to say like, hey, I needed your signature on this. You're cool with everything's going to Josie, right? And this is when Catherine realizes... She's being played. Mm-hmm. So it's a double, triple cross. Triple cross. This is why it always confuses me, because okay, all this time you think Ben Horn and Catherine are in cahoots to steal the mill and frame Josie, Josie. but really Ben Horn is in cahoots with Josie to, to 
screw Catherine out and and get all the money by burning Ben or Ben Horn wants to burn it down doesn't want to sell wants to burn it down wants to get the money okay and then build Ghostwood Estates oh I was gonna say and that's where they want Ghostwood Estates to be right yeah okay that's part of the whole development plan or whatever okay um so Catherine says that she'll discuss the policy with her lawyer and return it later and then she discovers that her second book, the cooked, the cooked books or the good book, the Bible. Um, the which one is missing? The one, the missing one is the cooked one. Okay. Um, Audrey and slips. Josie has that. Right. Audrey slips a note under the door of Cooper's room as new guests check in. That's the end of that paragraph. At the station house, the boys play with the bugs. Bugs. Oh. Bugs like room bugs like oh yeah they they're opening the suitcase with all the like yeah wigs and and, and it's Coop, uh, Hawk is lining Cooper's arm with the microphone oh okay I the, wouldn't call that wire. a bug TwinPeaksFandom.com um alone okay so the and oof we're about to come up on some choice wig wear I <laughs> we're not there yet okay. hold on to it I'm so excited. <laughs> um, alone in the conference room Waldo says Laura and a gun fires and breaks a picture Leo runs through the rain to his truck the bird bleeds all over a pile of donuts and Cooper listens to a recorded voice of the bird saying hurting me hurting me stop it Laura Laura so it says hurting me stop it Leo no yeah. in a weird sing songy way it's also Shirley Doing, oh, is it say it's, that? it's Shirley doing the voice. Her name. You, you can tell it. It sounds like her, but uh. like that's part of the mimicry. They right. needed that, but yeah. And, but that imagery is is also fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like you come up, you start low on the table, you pan across the donuts, it goes up to the bird, then you see the tape recorder that gets turned on, mm. then you see the picture, you hear Waldo, and then you cut back and you just see like blood dripped all over the donuts and loose feathers fall it's mm-hmm. just a, a really cool way of showing it yeah um the officers enter one-eyed jack and cooper suggests that jacques is dealing in the back blackie introduces herself so blackie is like the madam madam of of yeah, one-eyed jack it's also black rose she's referred to she's um, been in it she's she has yeah. she was in the first or second episode yeah she's she's in early um because we had to make it clear she is a white woman named Blackie. And that makes us all feel real comfortable. Well, black that's the key is that Blackie is short for Black, black Rose. Rose. Um, Blackie introduces herself and says that Ed looks like a cop. And Cooper's like, nope, that's me. Which is a good misdirect, um, I think. Okay, so this is our first view of Big Ed and his Big Ed wig. Which... Is like just the wig version of his actual hair. It is, <laughs> and it's because his hair is very dense, and so it hit it sits up a full inch yeah. from his head, yeah. and so it just make and he already has a pretty big head. And it makes him look like he has this like. He even makes that gorge. joke when they're playing with the wigs earlier. He's like, "Is this thing gonna fit? I got a big head." <laughs> and then Mikey said, "Big head, big head." Yeah, because duh. <laughs> but like the it went. Uh, when she looks at him, it's like, "What do you? You look like a cop. What do you do?" And he's like, I "Run a garage," or "I'm an oral surgeon." I meant, <laughs> bless his 
part. And then, He's so not cut out for yeah, this. Yeah, it's, and it's great because he just doesn't get it right away. But then, like, the scene shifts and, like, the dialogue back and forth after that is fantastic. Because she then, like, has this, like, smart-ass quip where she comes back and she's like, oh, that's great because I got a Chevy up front and bad and in dire need of a root canal <laughs> or whatever. And he's like, oh, are you sure it's not you? I'd love to get a look under that hood. And like, are you sure it's not you that need, like, and it just like starts playing this other like uh-huh. cat and mouse game. And the entire time Cooper is just looking at him at, at uh-uh. big Ed and do it just like, you're doing great, man. <laughs> like, like the cover is going to be blown because Cooper is just so excited. Yeah. <laughs> like it's fantastic. Well, and I that also, whole scene is just wonderful. I think there's also a layer w- worth bringing up to how Blackie reacts to him and kind of jibes him of like, she's a madam. She, men lie to her every day. Like nobody yeah. comes in being like, oh, I'm a successful nurse practitioner and yeah. I'm just going to like, oh, pay for some sex. And they, they, and they I call themselves Barney and Fred. Fred and Barney, how dare they? Yeah. Which, how very Which dare. I also, I mentioned too, I think is funny because um, Kyle MacLachlan went on to be in the Flintstones movie. Sure did. And that is a story we're going to tell when, about the time we met Kyle MacLachlan. Right now we're going to tell Now him. we're going to say, we're saving it for later. Why? And when would ah, it later I'm clear. Be? We'll do a special episode or something. So, okay. um, so. Stay tuned, folks. <laughs> so they go toward the casino. Um, Maddie sneaks downstairs with a paper bag and Leland watches her leave. <laughs> and the weirdest outfit. <laughs> oh, her outfit. Jesus She's got like Christ. this like long dress on with like brown boots, but like knit gloves uh-huh. and a this weird scarf. really thick scarf over this like peacoat It thing. makes me think of like a toddler playing dress up in their mom's yes, clothes. Yes, yes. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Because it's just layer and like obviously the early 90s was like a time of many layers of and clothing. It's February. And, but it was just like yeah. just grabbing everything she could see and it's throwing so it on bizarre. her. It's so weird. Um, So she sneaks downstairs with a paper bag and Leland watches her leave. Maddie wearing a blonde wig, and Donna pick up James. So their idea is they're going to fuck with Dr. Jacoby they're, by they're posing Laura. tricking him to get him out of his, his, his place. Office. Yeah, so they can go break in and try and find the tape. Right. Um, okay, back to Great Northern. The Icelandic inventor investors... Maybe they're inventors. Who knows? Sing to Ben, who's which, and he says something like, "I need to learn these songs." And they were just singing like "99 Bottles of Beer on the Wall," but in Icelandic. Yeah. So. Gotta learn it. Because <laughs> he makes it like, "Oh, you need to teach me your native song." Like, oh, bud. Um. Uh. Ben suggests that Jerry take the guests to the dining room. Um. He asks when they'll sign the contract, and Jerry says they want a signing. Party, and this is also when Ben and Jerry are eating ice cream. <laughs> get it, Michael? Michael, do you get it? Like the ice cream, Ben and Jerry's, but they are eating. You're thinking of Tom and Jerry. Fuck, I'm always thinking <laughs> of Tom and Jerry. Um, so Ben calls Josie to ask where Catherine is. Why would he call Josie to ask where Catherine is? Ben calls. Josie to ask where Catherine is. Ben calls Josie. He, that's poorly worded. Ben called Josie and asked is if Catherine is there. Oh. Like, are you free to talk? Gotcha. Are we still on? Are we a go? Okay. Yeah. Um, Josie says that she'll get Catherine to the mill. 
Yeah, and he yeah he says he needs to get Catherine to the mill because theoretically they're gonna try to bang trap her in the mill when they burn it. Oh, they're trying to get. He's trying to get rid of Catherine. Okay, because he sees her as a threat, which she is. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if he's trying to kill her or if he wants to just get her near it so that they can pin it on yeah, her. Yeah, frame her. Um. Do you think Leo has any idea who he's burning this shit down for? He's just like, I got these cans, buddy. I don't think he gives a shit. No. Um, And then Josie, uh, Hank sits with Josie, period, end of sentence. Yeah. And that's about it. That's the extent. Like, these are moments where, like, every time I see it, I'm like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, this, I mean, this is. Because I remember thinking, oh, and Hank sends Josie the picture of the dice. And I was like, why the fuck did Hank the send... Domino. Or Domino, yeah. I was like, why did Hank send Josie a picture of the Domino? Like, and it's like a what, sketch. Why? Well, it's presumably he yeah. did it, and that's all he had access to. Sure. Um, but, but like... It's not like a photograph. Yeah, I mean, but he couldn't do that right. from jail. Um, but, like, I was like, oh, why are they... What do they have to do with each other? And then they have this scene, and I'm like, oh, yeah? <laughs> like, Hank is just this new character who's kind of involved in everything but nothing. It's weird. Yeah. But I'm, I'm a, like, m- the more I watch it, the more fascinated I am with Hank. Yeah. And I, I feel like he didn't, he never got credit for me early on. And the more I watch the show, I, the more I like Hank. Or, like, I'm intrigued by his character, yeah. Um, Audrey walks into Blackie's office and hands her a resume using the alias Hester Prynne. Wink. <laughs> uh, I'm glad they call it out. Yeah. Like, I, she says... I also read I, the Scarlet Letter. Yeah, I get it. Instead of, like, you're clever. And I love that, like, it's Hester Prynne, which is not only one of the more famous characters in early American literature. Yeah, I, even I knew that. But also an extraordinarily distinctive name. Yeah. Like, you don't meet a lot of Hesters. Well, like, Walter Neff. You could could have gotten away with that. Right. You know what I mean? Like, the way David Lynch pulls from other characters that, like, oh, was that from? Okay. Yeah. You could have done that with, like, anybody. Like, pull any other character out of that book. Yeah, and I mean... uh yeah, it's just very silly and very, very girlish. Like, of like she's trying to out play it. on it, like Esther Prince or something like that. Like you could have. There's other options. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think it would have been really funny if she was like, "Um, my name is Juliet Capulet." Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty subtle reference. Yeah. You may never have heard of it. Yeah. Um. Well, because what would have been good about that is that her Blackie's name is actually Black Rose Montague. And a lot of people don't know oh, that. So it would have been a weird so clash. That would have been good. Really romantic, yeah. I think. And Ben Horn, the actor who plays him, played Tony in the West Side Story, which is an adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. So it really just ties it all together. Mind? Eh. I guess not really. Yeah, it was pretty. Mine is pretty satisfied, I guess. <laughs> uh, Audrey walks into Blackie's. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Blackie quickly determines it's a fake. Good on Blackie. Audrey ties it. And he's like, why should I keep you around? She ties a cherry stem into a knot in her mouth, and Blackie agrees to keep her around. Great bit. Um, I feel like 
I wish I had more to say on this. I've heard in other interviews, podcasts, or readings, or things that I've done stories about this, and I don't remember any of them about like why this came to be or who came up with it or whatever. Um, all I do know is that she didn't do it. It was faked. Oh, <laughs> pretty yeah, pretty obviously, there's whenever there's a cut in the middle, right. she didn't do it. Um, but yeah, I think it's an effective, silent, good bit. You know, mm-hmm. it shows that she's not phased. She stayed confident. Like you called me out. You, yeah. I'm I'm dedicated to this. Like she's she's a strong willed character. I think all of that comes across in that whole sequence. I'm just looking up to see because we were talking about. Presumably, this isn't the origin of tying a cherry stem with your tongue, but I was just curious if I could scoop up any history to see where it actually came from. And I couldn't, and I stopped caring. Uh, Cooper cleans up at the blackjack table, and Jacques comes around and begins to deal. Cut back to Dr. Jacoby, who's watching Invitation to Love. So Dr. Jacoby was, um, is a therapist, was Laura's therapist, is obsessed with her. Mm-hmm. Um, he's watching Invitation to Love while James, Maddie, and Donna call him. Maddie, tell, and Maddie is speaking as Laura. So she puts on this, and, and again, it's the same actress who played Laura yep. and who plays Maddie. So you throw, she's got ostensibly has like her regular hair, the brown wig, and then the blonde wig on top of that. <laughs> um, Which is funny because she's naturally a blonde. Like, is she? Like her her hair as Laura is her real hair. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. okay. So but she has to wear a bad bad wig. Yeah. Um, Maddie tells him as Laura to go to the door, and he brings a derringer. Is that a gun? Yeah. Okay. An envelope with a video cassette waits for him. The video shows Maddie disguised as Laura, purporting to actually be her. So she's holding a uh, yeah, she's that day's newspaper. The, yeah, the daily news, the today's today's paper. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like hostages do. Um, she instructs Jacoby to meet her in ten minutes at the gazebo. Uh, Bobby spies. No, the see. She, they instruct Jacoby to go to Sparkwood in 21, uh-huh. which is the intersection that Laura was last seen. Okay. When she hopped off of James's bike and ran into the woods. Okay. Um, Jacoby looks at the tape and sees a glimpse of the, the gazebo in the background. Oh. And says, oh, the gazebo. That's where I'm going to go. I'm not going to Sparkwood in 21. I'm going to the gazebo. Okay. To find Laura. Okay. Like, they instruct him to go somewhere else because they're just trying to get him out. Oh, so it doesn't matter where but, he goes. Yeah, but they're away. not expecting him to show up at the gazebo. Gotcha. So, like, the last shot of this episode, you see that she's being looked at by somebody from the bushes, mm-hmm. the Laura character, because it's a POV shot. You don't see a body. You just mm-hmm. see a POV, but it's, like, that kind of handheld moving around shot. So mm-hmm. you assume that that's someone's POV. Yeah. So Bobby spies on them through the bushes while someone else spies on Bobby. When Jacoby leaves, James and Donna enter the house. Bobby watches watches and puts a white package in James' bike. Yeah, he plants a bag of Coke in James's motorcycle to try to get him out of um, the picture. And then someone watches Maddie by the gazebo. And that's the end of that episode. Um, yeah, that was a good one. Apparently there's a deleted scene called Something About Johnny, where Sylvia and Jacoby tried to deal with Johnny. Sylvia's being abusive. 
Hmm. Audrey intervenes, blames her mother for Johnny's condition. Sylvia turns, then turns the blame on Audrey, who pushed Johnny down the stairs when they were younger. Audrey leaves, and Jacoby explains that Audrey is not to blame, but an early emotional trauma. Hmm. Hmm. Um, cool. So that's yeah, that it's, episode. It's a good episode, but it's really clearly setting up the finale. Right. Um, is there anything in the first season that you like more than Big Ed's wig? <laughs> His mustache, maybe. Ugh. Yeah, you're right. I'm wrong. Got it again. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's there's great... Um, this... I felt like I was about to say something, and I don't remember okay. what it was. I was distracted by... Make funny big, joke about... Big Ed's wigs and wig. mustaches. But. Okay. Uh, well, unless you have anything you want to add while I vamp and give you time to think, nothing. He's... He's got a blank look on his no. face, folks. Oh, I was, I there was thinking, and I was thinking how. So this episode was directed by Caleb Deschanel, who's a cinematographer, also famously father of Zoe and Emily, Zoe and Emily Deschanel, and married to Mary Jo Deschanel, who plays um, Donna's Hayward, Mrs. Hayward. Yeah, yeah, Mrs. Hayward, Donna's mom, and Doc Hayward's wife, the one in the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Um. But it's a, so there's a there's a handful of shots that are very cinematic the the reference to blue velvet that we mentioned things mm. like that. But there's also at least two shots in this that are straight up out of focus. <laughs> like like the most of the shots of the insurance guy yeah are straight up just not in focus. Yeah, I noticed that one. And there was another shot later, and I remember who it was, but it was a close up of somebody that was just like, well, that's just straight up not in focus. And for a director of photography cinematographer who that's their primary trait you'd feel like your episode of directing would be like pretty super, well shot super focused yeah so I don't know what that was all about but I but I mean also we've we've been noticing that a lot as we watch older movies that you know we're never supposed to be in HD, never meant to be in sure. HD. And then, and it's like classic it's, movies that we'll watch that also we're like, this isn't even kind It's also, of this was already the point, like, so this show, ratings started off huge, rose a little bit, and then like little by little were decreasing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, at this point, still did not know if they were going to get picked up for a season two. Uh-huh. So I think... There's also the they were rushing this because a lot of the stuff that happens in the finale mm-hmm. is strictly to try to get a season two. Gotcha. They kind of just threw everything at the wall for that, and so there's a good chance a lot of this is like rushed or mm-hmm. whatever because we're a little frantic because we're we can't focus on the show as much because we're focused on what do we have to do to try to get sure the rest this. of it. Yeah. So I don't know, but. All right, cool. Yep. Well, thank you for joining us, and we'll uh, talk to you next week for the season one finale. Bum, bum, bum. I guess it's haunted. I don't know. Thank you for listening to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people, hosted by Michael Greif and me, Jessica Blumke Greif. Our podcast logo is by Foraker Creative. You can follow them at Foraker Creative. Our theme music is by Brad Chactus. You can always email us at cooperduperpod at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes and leave us a positive review and tell a friend. We'll see you next week.